You're listening to a podcast about brain health in diverse America. The goal of this podcast is to inform listeners about the latest research on healthy brain aging and risk factors leading to cognitive impairment and dementia. While the scientific community knows that aging affects brain health of Black, Hispanic, and European Americans quite differently, we still don't know the why and the how that this happens. This podcast will closely examine healthy and unhealthy aging in America as we discuss themes especially relevant to Black and Hispanic Americans. I'm Dr. David Johnson, Director of the California Alzheimer's Disease Research Center in the East Bay and one of many scientists working on the Diverse Vascular Cognitive Impairment and Dementia Study. This podcast is a production of the National Institute on Neurological Disorders and Stroke, the grant-funded Diverse Vascular Cognitive Impairment and Dementia Study, and the UC Davis School of Medicine. This podcast is produced by Darling New Media Podcast Studios in Sacramento, California. My guests today are Dr. Gladys Maestre, the director of the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center for Minority Aging Research at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. Dr. Maestre is joined by Dr. Romeo Escobar, who is an assistant professor in the School of Social Work at the UT Rio Grande Valley School of Medicine, and Dr. Noe Garza. He's an associate research scientist in the Department of Neuroscience at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley School of Medicine. In this episode, we'll discuss what's unique about Latino aging. Welcome doctors Maestre, Escobar, and Garza. And Brownsville is a very special place in America because it is a brand new medical school, a brand new um, focus center, and an Alzheimer's disease research center that's focused on memory and aging and among Latinos, especially Mexican-Americans, and really looking at some really unique issues about being here on the border and just the important issues that is really critical to the entire United States and to Latinos living across the country. What is it about Latino aging that may be the same or may be different among Europeans and Black Americans? And so this is one of the important questions that they're trying to answer here in Brownsville. And so I want to start this conversation. And so anyone can jump in. Please raise your hand. I'll give you the microphone. But I want to start with Dr. Maestre and say and ask the question, what's what's unique about Latino aging and and why is it that Alzheimer's disease is such a passion of yours? Thank you, David. I have to say that there are some characteristics of Latinos that influence the way we age. One of them is our family. As we age, we look for support. We expect to be supported by our kids and our whole family, extended family. In fact, so many times we elect to live in multi-generational households in order to help each other in a, in a better way and to provide the care that our parents gave to us when we were kids. I think there is also a sense of a spirituality that is very important uh, for us. 
And this has also a sense of community. We find in our um, uh, faith support and always reaching out to the people that share our faith for uh, as we age and things get uh, a little bit slower, maybe more pains here and there, and maybe losing some people that we love. And so that's a very uh, important source of resiliency. Many Latinos, even though they have a lower level of education and lower economic conditions, they live longer. And in the Valley is the case that uh, the life expectancy is higher than in many other areas of the nation and even in Texas. And we believe that it's not precisely because of a better diet or better exercise, but because of the sense of community and support that we usually get. That's really fascinating. So support in our environment, uh, it's sort of like one of those age-old adages of just keeping your brain active, keeping it engaged socially, meaningfully with, with our faith, with our family. This is really an important protection factor. I think so, because then when you have your family, your friends, you also have to remember things. You have the storytelling, you have the the love, you have all the things that make you be more engaged with life in general and the purpose of life also. Romeo, you were reaching for the microphone. Do you have something that you wanted to add to Lattice's? I basically totally agree with what uh, Ms. Dr. Maestre is saying. Um, for me, um, aging is very important. I, I'm a social worker by profession, uh, and I've been in academia for the past seven, eight years um, once I earned my doctoral degree. But prior to academia, I have a clinical practice. I was a clinical practitioner, and I dealt with a lot of aging folks. When I moved to the Valley about 25 years ago, I started doing consulting work in nursing homes. And I was real fascinating uh, to me, uh, interviewing the elderly. You learn a lot from the elderly population. And in my teachings, when I teach in, at the university, I try to encourage individuals to go into the field of aging. And it's very difficult because a lot of students, I don't know, maybe fear, maybe um, they don't know exactly what to expect. But I always enjoyed working with the elderly. When I used to work in psychiatric facilities, where we had geropsych unit, I usually was hired as the administrator to administer programs for the geropsych, and that I developed an interest in that. So when I joined the university, I have been involved in studies dealing with the aging. First study that I've uh, was involved was in challenges that the Latinos face in seeking mental health services, primarily the aging. And my second study also focused on remedios, coping strategies that Latinos use to cope with stress. And then I became a member of the uh, RAGMAR Center here, and uh, I did a study for uh, caregivers. Because in my literature review, I had reviewed many different uh, studies that have been done in other parts of the US and being in South Texas, I was primarily wanting to see whether the caregiving experiences by the Mexican Americans here in the South Texas, Mexico border 
would be any different than what I have been reading in the literature. And unfortunately, due to COVID, my study was limited because of the situation with COVID. So I, I didn't get as many subjects in my study or not. But ultimately, my preliminary indi uh, results indicate that there was no difference in, the, in terms of the caregiving experiences. Um, I think going back to what Dr. Maestri said about the family, the family is very important, and that's what I found, that family caregivers, um, they tend to basically enmesh themselves in the lives of the caregiver, uh, given experience, and then they tend to neglect themselves. And those are some of the things that I discovered that uh, it led to a lot of uh, depression for the caregiver, a lot of physical ailments, et cetera. So uh, it, it was a good study. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. And I think that um, one of the neat things about being down here now, I've been down here for a little, about a day, a little more than a day, is appreciating the familismo, the family structure, the support that's really truly endemic throughout, you know, from Mexico to the Chipotle and Argentina and the, you know, uniqueness of the Latino families and how they coalesce and support one another, especially as they grow older. Um, and, and it's really great to hear that you're studying how that might buffer stress and advancing of age and how, you know, uh, um, and maybe that our family supports might actually help us live longer, healthier lives. Uh, Noah, can you help? We had this fascinating conversation uh, a few hours ago, you and I, about your experience of working with promotoras here in the South Texas region, your history of the last couple of years, uh, many years of working with those promotoras. And I was wondering, if you just might share with some of the audience of the podcast, um, just describe a little bit about the what you did in the last few weeks, how many promotoras you you touch, and what they're doing here in South Texas. Because I think that the rest of the country could learn a lot from your experience here. Well, uh, I've been working here in, at the university for 15 years on research, and uh, and. Uh, uh, and most of the, I've been working with on, on autism, and we I work a lot with, uh, you know, children. And uh, three years ago, I came here to this department, uh, to neurology, the Department of Neurology, and I started working with uh, mental health, all the mental health issues you can think about, we're doing here. So um, what I do, what I have done many years is working with promotoras. Promotoras are community health workers that work on their community. Because, why? Because uh, the community knows them. They know and they trust them. They can go and knock the door and they'll open. They know who she is. But before they become promotoras, they, uh, we teach them and they get certified to be a promotora. They have to do 160 hours to be a promotora. And to be a promotora, there's about eight uh, disciplines that they have to have, leadership, uh, health, and there, there's, a, there's a lot of disciplines. And they learn that, they get certified, but uh, there's a lot of promotoras, they, they are volunteers. Most of the promotoras that they get the course, it's, uh, well, it's a little expensive for some of them, 
and then uh, they get their jobs, they, you know, but there's a lot of promoters uh, that they, they are volunteer. So those promoters, they have the trust of the, of the people. So what we do here, on, like uh, to recruit, I do workshops. I go to, to, to their organizations, I invite them here, like I did today, and uh, different organizations came today, and then what I do, they, they I give them the uh, the phone number of the uh, the phone number and the email of this project that we have here, and so people they they'll tell them the other organization, the promotoras, and these people they'll they'll send uh, the information to all of the people. What promotoras do the most thing is to spread the word. They spread the word of what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. What is that about? And I, I mean, and, and, and they can explain real good everything to each place they go. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the ways that, that we do recruitment here. And how many promotores uh, do you estimate are here in the valley that you work with? Well, uh, yes, in on Hidalgo County, there are more than 600 promotores. And here in Cameron, there are about 400 promotores already. So... How many how many people do you talk to at a time a year? How many promotors? Oh, uh, let me. See. I don't know. They, I I go to to they they do conferences here in in the valley and at some part of the island uh, every year and 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 just on those places about promotoras from all of, you know all over they come from El Paso from Houston San Antonio Corpus to to those conferences. So I've been there and uh, every year. So maybe like. About six to seven hundred, yes. Dr. Maestre, can you tell us why it's important to have Latinos in these studies of memory disorders? Sure. There are many ways to explain that. The very basic issue is human rights for me. We need to give opportunity to those that need them. And uh, we know that Latinos have one of the highest uh, rates of Alzheimer's in the country. So it will be just a matter of, of human rights to give opportunities. The other has to do with science. We need to learn and take advantage of genetic um, characteristics, but also from lifestyles and the social different social determinants of health. So we want to be part of the solution. We, we are part of the problem, for sure, but we want to contribute. So when, when we argue with the community, why should we be part of a research study? We say, you know, we want to be able to use whatever results from the research, and we want to apply them right here in the border. So that's why we want the people in the border to participate. Of course, we want everyone, any from coming from any background, uh, cultural or genetic, to contribute. But of course, in community like this, uh, Latinos are the majority of the population. So that's why we consider this is important. You know, we get 20, 20 or so emails per week. And these are people that are living in underserved areas, many in colonias that are settlements where there is no even electricity. 
So that's the type of diversity that we want to bring into Alzheimer's disease. And this is possible really because of the effort of people like Dr. Garza that can uh, actually teach the promotoras in a way in, in that uh, the disease is known by the symptoms, but with hope. Hope that uh, it's we need to learn about the disease, we need to learn how to take care of people, and they are not afraid of coming to us as a research participants. Wow, that is amazing work that you guys are doing here. I know that um, there are many communities across the United States that have mistrust for the medical centers that don't trust research science just right off the bat. And it sounds like you guys have started a brand new program from and building it from the ground up based on trust, hope, and service to the community. And I think those fundamental fundamentals of interacting with the community are something which we all as a research scientist should be thinking about, should be trying to address directly in all the work that we're doing. I think Diverse VCID does do that. Um, but I think that all of us would even do a better job if we keep it in mind like you are here. So kudos, really wonderful job. Um, I am wondering like, um, Dr. Maestro, will you tell me a little bit or, or no, maybe you both can answer this question about some of the barriers or the hesitancies that you find? I mean, certainly you're being very successful in bringing people in, but not everyone is so excited about coming in for uh, neuropsychological testing or brain MRI. What are the hesitations? What are the barriers? So there are some aspects that are logistic, like transportation, for example. This is a big barrier in the area. Just the, the public health system, the, the public transportation system is, is not efficient enough, it's not prepared to carry older adults. So this is a main a big problem. And um, other problem has to do with a stigma. Still there is big stigma uh, uh, in relationship how uh, you know you don't want to be labeled uh, as a family that has this problem. So there is this perception that this is a family problem, that it might be genetic or hereditary, and you don't want people to know that this is a big risk that they take if they take you as a partner, as a spouse, or so it's a big stigma. So that's why we are trying to spread the word that there is hope, that not everything is genetic, and that there are some things that can be done to protect memory. Well, there's uh, sometimes we go to um, health fairs and uh, we ask and we ask the people, uh, do you know do you have do you know anyone with Alzheimer's? And they look at you and and they don't want to say that they do because they they're hiding these people. They they want they just leave them they leave them in the room mm -hmm. instead of uh, you know talk to them do something, exercise, bring him out. But they, that's the stigma that we have here. 
Yeah, and, and adding to that, uh, that was the experience that I uh, experienced in doing my study with the caregivers, where the family, they weren't too receptive to the term Alzheimer's. They would say, my grandfather or my dad, my mom suffers from memory issues, from um, they somehow if if the word Alzheimer's, they would they would have a different perceptive perception of that. No, my my mom doesn't have Alzheimer's. So it is important a lot of education, like Dr. Gladys was saying, um, and and just to make them feel comfortable that there's nothing wrong because all of us may at one point have memory issues as we become older. And that was one of the major variables that I had uh, difficulties in trying to secure uh, my subjects for my study. Because of the pandemic, I wasn't able to do face-to-face interviews. So I was doing telephone interviews. So I was having a major difficulty because I would call and call and call to the point where I was getting uh, a little embarrassed because I was calling the same number over and over again. But I was, but once I made contact with them, then they were receptive, you know, to participate in the study. But as long as I was real cautious, not to mention this is a study about Alzheimer's, dementia, Alzheimer's type is okay, but actually the term Alzheimer's, they would sort of become a little reluctant to speak. So. Well, that's really interesting. These seem like actually pretty different barriers from some of our other guests talking about the black American experience. Um, and, and that this is much more still, again, you know, we come back to this issue of family and how the family is perceived by other families, how family is integrated into the community, the lo- the local community. And these are fascinating little difference. Well, not little, but, but significant differences between the Black American and the Latino American experience. So I'm, I appreciate this conversation. Uh, you were saying something, Dr. Escobar, that had me um, thinking about whether or not the Latino community sort of recognizes or appreciates cognitive decline and cognitive impairment. Do they see it, or is that considered just part of normal aging? Maybe I'll ask Dr. Maestro, do you have a sense of that? I think that to a point it is considered part of normal aging. But when the person change the personality and really stop uh, considering the family and considering the, the people around as their own family because we also consider many of our neighbors our family. So then that's when the problem is. And I do you remember the movie Coco? And, uh, well, uh, a lot of people said to me, there is always a Coco in the family. <laughs> and uh, meaning that it's kind of, you know, expected that somebody in the family, particularly if you have a large or extended family, that you are going to have to take care of somebody. And that's also one of the reasons why it's good to have several kids, not just one or two. So that's great. Uh, that's great. And uh, and and I uh, I also think of the movie Encanto as a as an example, very similar, um, and lovely metaphors for the the beautiful families. Um, you know, as we round out this last 
a couple of questions. Um, what I wanted to know was, um, and I, I think I'm going to ask you, Noi, the, the Latino experience, um, you here at uh, um, in the Rio Grande Valley, UTRGV, are lucky to have a significant number of staff who are Mexican-American, who are Latinos and speak Spanish. Um, would this be a very different recruitment if people didn't have the language uh, to, to bridge the, the relationships, to build the relationships? So if you were white and you didn't speak Spanish, how do you think your job would be different? Well, here in, in the valley, it's, it's, it's not difficult because even the white people speak, speak Spanish. The, here, we have like 98% of Hispanics. And the, the people that live here, most of them speak Spanish. So I don't think it will be you know, necessary to, to change any languages. And uh, also, most of the people here, they're bilingual. I mean, they speak English and they speak Spanish, but most is Spanish. But I don't see any barriers of language, no. because if you you come here, you don't you don't you don't speak Spanish. Anyone can, you know, it, it, it translates to you. So, do you find that there's a not a mistrust of white Euro investigators or doctors? Actually. On every research that we do here, we do it on both languages. We have to be approved by the IRB to both languages because everything that we do is going to be in both languages, most of it. So. I think people feel very comfortable when you have the same culture and you respect and and you know, you just encounter the people where they are. And this is most important than language sometimes. But if you can uh, speak the language, which in the colonias is mostly Spanish and the promotoras is mostly Spanish, then you will have um, a better and deeper encounter. You can elaborate in English and have a translator. I think that's I agree that's very common here, but um, there is always this, you will need more time to make the same the same kind of connection. Probably you'll do it, but it just take more time. I think that there has been very little research history. So there is not that mistrust of whatever happened in the past. So I think in that sense, we are, we have a big responsibility because we are opening um, clinical research in the lives of the community. Um, I'll close with one question and I'm gonna give each of you a brief moment to respond. So I'm gonna put you under the clock. But, you know, Texas is a former colony. And, you know, uh, is there, something about Mexican-Americans living in Texas that is a, a different experience than maybe Puerto Ricans living in, in New York or other Mexican-Americans or other Latinos wherever in the United States, California, Colorado, Arizona. Is there something unique about Texas and its history, both good and bad, that 
is unique to uh, working with older adults here. I'll start with you, Dr. Escobar. I know it's a hard question. I think from my perspective, having lived in San Antonio before I moved over here in Houston, larger communities, what I found here in the Valley is there's a really high level of influence from Mexico because we're in the border of Mexico. And I think that that brings itself uh, to have a lot of the belief systems that the Mexican people have are, are carried over by Mexican Americans because we're in a position where we have American values and Mexican values. And so we have, but I think there's a high level in, to me, there's a high influence of the Mexican value system from Mexico incorporated into our culture here. Yes, uh, I agree with uh, Romeo. Uh, actually, when I when I came to the United States, I was like 10 years old, and uh, we went all the way to Washington State, and we stayed over there for five years. And uh, it was very different for us. It was very different living over there, and, and that's... Uh, you know, I went to school over there and everything. But my mother, she was like, uh, wanted to come back. So we came back five years after we went to live in Houston. Even though Houston is a very big city, we found a place where, you know, there were many Latinos and everything. And it was different. It was a lot different. Here in the Valley, uh, we're so close to Mexico and the people that live here, it's... Uh, it's, you know, it's uh, many, actually many people that live here, they, they're they not from Mexico, they're from Texas, because mm -hmm. Texas was Mexico. So they've been living here all their life. It's like, uh, like it's like my father. My father was born in Roma, in, you know, in a ranch in Roma, Texas. But all the family was from over there. They, was, they weren't from Mexico, they were from Texas. So there's a... Uh, uh, thing that we need to learn about the people that lives lives here because we we think well they're your Mexican or sometimes you're you know you're not Mexican you're from Texas so it's 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 nice to to know uh, the culture of everyone and respect as my sister said and respect each other a lot you know because uh, it's it makes a difference it makes a difference you know when you know everyone you know and you respect. I think that in every city there is a, a a little bit of segregation, and even here with the ninety five percent of Hispanics, uh, you can see the who is the the principal of the school, who is the mayor, who is the president of the university, and they are not Hispanics most of the time. So there is this sense of disempowerment. I think, and that is growing. The it's it's. Um, I think that it has grown recently, and with the, all the the humanitarian crisis in the border, the migration. I think that it's it's and now uh, things that are positive. I think like establishment of SpaceX uh, here in Brownsville and uh, people moving. I don't know, 1,000 engineers or something like that. Mm -hmm. They are buying the homes and gentrification is happening and the prices are up in the housing market. 
So I feel that um, there is a, a great solidarity, but still there is segregation. And I think that this gap is affecting the care because then uh, people who made the decision are not really aware of the needs and the opportunities for change for older adults. Just one last comment. I also think that the concept of personalismo is really important here because once they get to trust, it's primarily for the elderly, once they get to trust you, then you're going to have more reception on their part to be able to participate. At least that is what I experienced in the study that I've conducted here. Well, I know in my short time of being here, I am super impressed at your personalismos and your ability to reach and connect with the community in ways that I do not see at every research center. So I want to end this podcast by saying thank you and congratulations on what is you are building to be a, a beautiful, inclusive, and embracing community of researchers and with the community. So thank you guys for being thank on the you. show. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Brain Health and Diverse America. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen to our show by asking your smart speaker to play the Brain Health and Diverse America podcast. And please rate us on your favorite podcast app. Brain Health and Diverse America is brought to you by the NIH grant-funded Diverse Vascular Cognitive Impairment and Dementia Study and the UC Davis School of Medicine. To learn more about participating in our nationwide Diverse Vascular Cognitive Impairment and Dementia Study, click on the link in the episode description. Any questions or comments, please email us at diversevcid, all one word, at ucdavis.edu. And thanks for listening.